episode 92 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAd.net, and with me as always is Trevor Shervin of App Advice. In this episode, Trevor and I transform apps into Oscar nominees, and we take a look at what new hardware Apple will be releasing in the new year. How you doing tonight, Trevor? Doing good. Had a good Oscar night, and it's always fun to somehow weave that into our discussion of apps and games in the App Store. And then, of course, Apple in 2019. How could you not be excited for that? I know, yeah. And, yeah, the Oscars, I mean, that was it was actually pretty enjoyable without a host. It seemed to actually move it a clip, and then, uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll move it a clip as well and uh, kind of just bring you all this information, and you'll enjoy our, our quick, fun episode. Yep. And so before we do dive into the Oscars, we do want to talk about what Apple has planned for 2019. And we know about as much as other people know. We're not super insiders, but we still have a good kind of idea of what's going on. And so last week we talked about a planned March event, and that's mainly going to be focusing on Apple services. It's not a hardware type of event. So this is going to be more about Apple's big kind of tiered products. So we'll go in order from fewest kind of sales up to the ultimate biggest thing that Apple does, which is the phone. So we'll start with the Mac, and it seems that Apple might be working on a bigger MacBook Pro to fill that 17-inch niche that they got rid of. So right now they have the 13-inch MacBook Pro and the 15-inch MacBook Pro, and it looks like they can update the 15-inch to having either 16 or 16.5-inch screen, but still be about the same footprint as the 15-inch MacBook Pro. It's kind of what Apple's been doing. Same device, bigger screen on the iPad, the iPhone, and the watch, so it makes sense to come to the Mac. Yeah, I, I this seems like a, almost like a no-brainer for them to do because there are people that want that 17-inch screen, and they stopped offering it in 2012, and to have like the 16 or 16.5 and then have it in a size that is pretty much the same size as a 15-inch, People are going to jump all over that. I went, so I own a mid, I think it's a mid 2015, 13 inch uh, MacBook Pro. And then for work, they gave me a 2018, 13 inch MacBook Pro. And the size difference on these things is incredible. Like it's so much smaller and lighter, but it has obviously that same size screen, but they're able to compact the thing down. So there's so much less wasted space and you, it's just lighter and easier to carry around that if they could do that with a 17-inch screen or a 16.5-inch screen, then I'd, I'd be all over that maybe the next time that I'm going to be upgrading. I don't want a huge laptop, but if I can get something that's a nice big screen in a smaller package, why not? It really does open up potential possibilities because then, you know, if you then have the bigger size at the top tier... That means maybe the 13-inch down the road becomes like a 14, 14 and a half inch to replace the 15-inch. And then the MacBook Air and the 12-inch MacBook, you know, are closer to that 13-inch. So then they have three different tiers still. And also it kind of ties into the idea that that 15-inch MacBook Pro is expensive. I think the entry level, you're not getting in unless you're spending two grand. So you want to make sure that's going to be the best product that you're going to offer. You know, because there was a lot of complaints about the RAM on board when... The 15-inch, you know, Apple maxed out at like 16 gigabytes or something, and then they finally came 32 gigabytes the following year. And if this is going to be the best MacBook you're offering, you better believe it better have everything that pro consumers demand. 
Right, yeah, and my guess is what they would do is this would be another higher price tier than even those 15-inch. They're not going to say, hey, why don't we save people money on that 15-inch? That will kind (laughs) of drop that in price, and this will be our new $2,000-plus model. Now, this is going to be more expensive, but it's going to make that 15-inch look maybe a little less expensive for people kind of trying to decide what to do. Or maybe they drop like I did where I don't want to spend that much money and I drop down to the 13-inch. If I could get a 14-inch screen for that same size, for the same price, I'd, go, I'd be all over that. But uh, one of the other things supposedly happening is they're going to start offering like a 32-gig uh, of RAM option on that 13-inch MacBook Pro as well. So if you really want a lot of memory to beef the thing up and you like that small form factor then it sounds like that might be an option going forward as well. Which is definitely important because, again, that pricing tiers that Apple has. You know, if you're getting that touch bar model, which we've discussed in the past, the entry-level touch bar is $1,799, whether, no matter your screen size. So to maximize that screen size for $1,800 is another important thing. Yeah, I, is that touch bar even going to be on things going forward? That's what I'm wondering. If, <laughs> yeah, so if it could save you 250 bucks, my my one for work does not have the touch bar. I didn't even request it. I it's not even worth it to me. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious to see if this even goes into this new 16 inch. If that's what they're going to offer, or uh, do they save you a little bit money uh, money by not putting that touch bar thing in? Which doesn't sound like Apple, so I figure they're going to keep it around for just that reason alone. But then that also ties into probably the biggest concern and question on everyone's mind is the actual keyboard of the Mac. Because that butterfly keyboard that they first introduced on this redesign two and a half years ago has just been met with nothing but complaints. You know, when it first started out, little pieces of dust, microscopic dust particles would get below the keys and they become unresponsive. And so now there's the third generation of the butterfly keyboard currently on the new 2018 MacBook Air and MacBook Pros, and that doesn't have as high of complaints, but complaints are still there. Just the actual typing mechanics isn't as good as what was on those old MacBook Pros and MacBook Air. So hopefully when you're changing the screen, Apple can also change the keyboard because the one kind of hesitation that anyone in the industry has that Apple's going to actually redesign the MacBooks is that it's only been two and a half years and usually Apple's on a four-year cycle of redesigning their MacBooks. So if we are getting a new screen this year, hopefully that entails a new keyboard too. Right, yeah, but I would think that would only be on this higher-end model. They're not going to probably touch those others unless they're it's they're able to manufacture cheaper or some reason to switch them out it doesn't seem like they would bother to switch those out unless there was a financial reason to do so but i i haven't noticed an issue with my uh 13 inch macbook pro but then again i do tend to use an external keyboard most of the time that i'm using it because i have it hooked up to a monitor and i'm using it as a monitor so i kind of have them at the same height uh and just use an external keyboard but uh, I definitely have read a lot of the complaints that that you mentioned about the the new the new keyboard setup. Yep. So it is like you mentioned they have they've probably ordered so many of these keyboards. You know they have them in their supply chain for you know a year ahead of time that they're gonna keep the models around to keep using them. But we can definitely hope. Yep. And then speaking of monitors, Apple's also reportedly working on a new 6K 31.6-inch standalone monitor 
for you know your Mac Pro or as an external display. And if you've seen any Apple monitors in the past, you know that they're super priced. And they stopped making them because of that super price. And they, you know, they used to have those cinema displays and they just kind of quietly disappeared. So it'd be interesting to see Apple get back into that game, especially because monitor prices as a whole have come way down. But Apple always has that ultra premium. Right, so I think we're misreading this this rumor. I think it's actually a thirty one point six inch, six thousand dollar display. Is probably what it is. <laughs> that makes sense. That six K <laughs> yes. isn't the resolution. It's the no, price. no. I think it's the price. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I'm sure this thing is going to look beautiful, but it's going to be insane how much it costs. There's no no cost yet, but I know it's going to be high. It also, I guess, could be a new big iMac. Instead of the topping out 27-inch iMac, maybe the rumor is actually, instead of a standalone display, it's a 31-inch iMac. Hey, that would be nice, yeah. I But even then, I think it's still going to be expensive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe <it's laughs> this actual, the note, it says 6K, 3K monitor. So maybe it's a 6K monitor that costs 3K. Oh, maybe. maybe. 6K, 3K makes no sense. You know, I mean... That's, yeah, why so, would you go to 3K? Yeah. So maybe I like the idea of a 6K iMac that's 31 inches instead of 27 inches. But if the monitor itself costs 3000 No, it's <laughs> got to be the monitor itself costs 3000 I'm That out. can't be for the whole computer. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, I'm out. There's no way. I mean, that's why a lot of people would buy the third-party displays because they just could not justify unless you're doing something that requires that much precision and that much detail the average person is not going to be able to drop $3,000 on a monitor unless they're using this as their TV, maybe. Like, maybe this is their only display in their house. But even then, 3000 for only a 31-inch, 31.6-inch display when you can get a 4K 65-inch TV for like 1000 bucks nowadays or less. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That rumor is definitely sketchy, but it fits in right with the crazy things Apple does, so who knows? Yep, it does. <laughs> and so that's pretty much the Mac in 2019. Definitely hoping that we get some good new MacBook Pros. But then there's the iPad. And the iPad's interesting because it's an essential part of Apple's product line, but each year it's a less and less stake, like a smaller percentage of Apple's bottom line. And... Last year, Apple updated their iPad. You know, it was a big change. They pushed out the screen. They reduced the bezels. They changed it so instead of a curve, it's a straight edge. They introduced the new Apple Pencil and keyboard. It was a big redesign year. So that means in 2019, we don't expect a big redesign and essentially expect that processor upgrade, maybe camera improvements, you know, the smaller ideas. And that's a tough sell when the iPad itself is already a tough sell. Yeah, you forgot to mention the bend that they, they <laughs> included in the new model, too. Yeah, so the, there were all these people reporting that they, uh, certain iPads were coming bent, they easily bent. So the new remodel of the iPad Pro, I think it looks beautiful, but it has had some issues. And unless they're doing something just like a minor fix to, to solidify that and keep that from bending... I really don't see what they're going to introduce with this after less than a year or just about a year that's going to be so compelling you're going to get people to be upgrading. I mean, the thing is so expensive now that 
it's and you will come to this when we talk about the phones as well where apple is just pricing this stuff at such premium levels even beyond what they've done in the past that it's causing people to just hold on to these for much much longer that you're not going to be upgrading these ipads especially these insane ipad pros every year that and they're not introducing new major new features every year that it there's not a lot to compel people to keep on upgrading year over year and they hold on to them instead for multiple years and so it becomes like at what point does apple kind of outprice and out feature themselves that they made it so that people don't need to upgrade and i think they've reached that point and I don't know what they're going to do next this year. I really don't know how well this is going to sell or I don't know. It's it's all big question marks. Yeah, the iPad's probably in the toughest position because the iPhone still has kind of that brand recognition and the still the idea of the cellular updates all the time. I mean, they're getting pushback on that, but iPad is much tougher because it's situated like an iPad and or like a computer and in that space it's really tough to warrant an upgrade year over year and then also apple hasn't been pushing the product line down in price as it gets a year older it's essentially they get rid of it and they filled it in with this new cheaper model that we've designed specifically to fill this specific price point so it's not like oh if i wait that 11 inch displayed ipad pro that they just came out that's super great now it's going to drop in price. You know, it's going to be $699 instead of $799 or maybe even $649 because they have this new one. Instead, that product's just completely gone because, oh, we're selling this other iPad Pro that doesn't have the edge-to-edge display that fits our lower price point. So it's really interesting year over year just because Apple specifically designed iPads for specific price points and then just completely get rid of the old model when the new model fits into place. I mean, even that 329 iPad, that is super entry level. They announced at that education event last year. Amazon has it on sale all the time for like $249. $249 iPad is a pretty good deal. And I can't imagine that I could convince anyone that spending $799 on this other iPad is worth it. You could get three of those iPads and you'd still be save $50 over this top tier <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, that 250 iPad, that's the one people are buying. That's the right. one you're getting your kids a device. They love to surf the net or play games on an iPad. That's the one you're buying because if it gets broken, a 250 is a lot easier to replace than a 700 to to $1,000 iPad. I mean, I have a friend who whose child threw an iPad against a wall and, and destroyed <laughs> it. If that had been a $1,000 iPad... Like they would have gone nuts, but at least if it's like a two hundred and fifty dollar or three hundred dollar iPad, it's still a lot of money to to be have a kid just throw it against the wall. But you're you're going to be able to replace that more likely to replace it for your kid than you would like a thousand dollars. So yeah, I the the problem is in the, there's not enough feature differences between those two levels of iPads that you have this thing that's so compelling that a lot of people will be picking up. And even that you can hold on to for years. You don't have to be upgrading that thing every year. But I, I, they just really need to reduce the price of those higher-end models to make them more compelling, more interesting for people to, to purchase and maybe do that impulse of, well, I'll spend a little bit more and get this. And I think they just want these large revenues on these on these iPads where if they took a little less profit on these, I think they could sell a lot more and probably do better off in the end. 
rather than having them so sky high priced, especially as these things age, the technology gets cheaper and they should be able to reduce the prices of these once they get these manufacturing setups uh, where they can make it cheaper and just keep on producing these things it doesn't make sense to have it so sky high every single year at least have those older models available something to to entice people to go middle of the road rather than saying there's no way i'm spending all this money on that insane ipad i'm just gonna buy super cheap Right, and that's the delicate balance, especially when you don't have have those year-over-year potential customers and you don't have those year-over-year enticing upgrades. It's not like, oh, this iPad that I just bought $7.99, it can't even do anything compared to this new iPad. Look how awesome this one is. There's never really been a year like that in iPad history, and it's (laughs) getting the point even more so where if you did spend $7.99 on that new iPad Pro, the 11-inch, or you got the 12.9-inch at $9.99... You're sticking with that for probably five years, <laughs> at least. And it's going to be good for those five years. There's not going to be a time in those five years where like, God, this thing sucks. And yeah. that's <laughs> that's the super problem that Apple has for the iPad. And it seems like every single way I look at the iPad, the only thing I can think of is software-based. I'm, I know we're talking about hardware here, but Apple really needs an iPad OS. It's really iOS 13. They need just an iPad OS. They've kind of dabbled with it, you know, with the touch gestures and the little dock that you have, but they need to just go all in on the iPad as its own thing. It really, it's completely different than the Mac, and it's a different experience than the phone. And if they don't do, I mean, that doesn't help necessarily sell year over year, but it might get people into the iPad that hasn't, or you can do the forced obsolescence where certain iPads aren't compatible with iOS 13. Right. I think that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have, if they come out with this monster of a, a software update, they're going to have to make it so it only runs on newer devices to force people to upgrade because otherwise we've seen it with like iOS 12. It kind of made your devices feel brand new. Like it sped them up. You didn't even have to upgrade that. That they lost another year of upgrades because people put this offer on and it was it made it better than it was before. I mean, one compelling thing could be this return of the iPad Mini. I know the phones have practically gotten to the size of the iPad Mini, but <laughs> I think you're going to have people that are interested that don't want to carry around a big phone, but want still like a a medium sized tablet device that's more pocketable than than a actual ipad is but but not a phone and i so i think that could kind of rejuvenate sales a little bit but it's still it's it's still a niche market you're only going to reach a certain audience with that but maybe that audience isn't being served right now and you're going to see a, a large number of sales but other than that, I don't know what they're doing with these new iPad Pros and even this 10-inch, 10.2-inch uh, iPad that's going to be coming out. Unless that's going to be another one of these dirt cheap ones that they're going to offer for like $400 or less. And maybe people would upgrade from a 9.7-inch to a 10.2. I I don't know. I, I don't. This is this is one I'm going to watch closely. I'm I'm really interested to in see what happens here because I desperately want that 12.9 inch iPad, but I'm not paying a thousand dollars for it. Yep, and that's kind of the iPad is in a tough state, and the Apple Watch isn't as in tough a state, but it also is going forward. So the Apple Watch still has 
a lot of people don't own an Apple Watch. It can get into new markets and areas like that. And people who have the Series 1, you know, that's not even compatible with OS 5 or OS 4, whatever OS Apple Watch is on. I think it's 5 now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's those, you know, there's a whole upgrade market potential. But in terms of the actual device, Apple upgraded and redesigned their Apple Watch last year. So, you know, it has the bigger screen. It has this new edge-to-edge display. They have this new ceramic bottom that kind of merged their two build technologies from previous years into one, so that's compatible with the ECG. And it was a huge update cycle. So that means for 2019, this is probably that processor boost year. You know, it's the S year of the phones, but for the Apple Watch. And that's tough just because, again, a lot of people with the Apple Watch are kind of unsure if they need to upgrade their device or they're unsure if they actually ended up needing. I think it's tough where a lot of people didn't get the Apple Watch because they're like, why do I need a stupid extension of my phone on my wrist? And then a lot of people did get the watch and they're like, well, really, it's not an essential device. I think the more people who use the Apple Watch found how unessential it is and it never reached the kind of peak and potential that Apple first portrayed when they first introduced the watch. So you have two sets of people that I don't think Apple is convincing enough that I need to upgrade or jump into the Apple Watch ecosystem. And then on top of that, this isn't the year to sell them on it. You hopefully did that selling last year, but then all those people who upgraded last year, they're out of the market for this year. And then this year you have nothing to kind of entice those people who are still on the fence because it's such a minor potential year. You know, they covered a lot of the things. Really, this year it's the processor and hopefully battery improvements, and I don't know if that's going to get all these people on board. Yeah, so I think last year they also had the problem where they did get a lot of people that entered the market, but they bought the Series 3 because Mm -hmm. it was cheap. So you had a lot of people trying to decide, do I buy the brand new Series 4 or do I go in, do I enter this market just on the Series 3 because it's less expensive and I can go ahead and just grab that? That's where people went. And so I bought the Series 4. I'm happy I jumped into this. I have no plans on upgrading next year. I This watch, I hope, will last me three, four, probably three or so years. And I don't know. The only thing that I think is really lacking on the watch is is the battery life. Like, if they could find a way to give you a week's worth of battery or five days' worth of battery and not necessarily have to have you charge it every day, that would be great. I charge probably every two days, as it is right now. And some days I forget, and the whole thing powers off, and it's a pain, and then I have multiple chargers, so I have one at work, one at home, so if for some reason I completely forgot to charge it, I can charge it. But it is kind of annoying to have to remember. And if they could find a way to either have it wirelessly charge where you don't even have to take it off and somehow you could wirelessly charge it or just have a much better battery life in it that it would last multiple days between charges, that is, I think, a huge selling point if they could do that. Otherwise, there's not much else they could do to really sell this. I I mean, you can swap out the bands yourself. So even if they put some fancy band on it, someone's going to come up with a counterfeit version of that band and you'll be able to buy it uh, in the, on the on the third-party market. So I don't I don't nothing I tried to rack my brain, nothing comes to mind of other than addressing battery issues that they could do to really sell this thing 
to people that already just bought it last year, either with the Series 3 or the Series 4. And then, of course, they increased the price. They used to start at 379 Now it starts at 449 because Apple's cool like that. And, <laughs> I mean, I, I, th- I guess it's because I'm in that Series 0 or Series 1 range of, I got this phone, or I got this watch originally. When it first came out back in 2015, it's worked perfectly fine since then. The new watch is definitely better in every single regard. And the there's all these neat features like the processor and the new screen and the water resistance up to 50 meters and all that good stuff. But the thing is, I don't know how valuable the watch is. Like people ask me, oh, do you think the Apple Watch is worth it? And I'm like, well, I picked it up for my job. I don't know as a regular consumer, it's worth it. I mean, it's neat to see your notifications, I guess, but... In terms of fitness tracking, you can get a Fitbit for like $80 or something to knock off for even cheaper. So, you know, you're spending $450, you expecting something more than fitness tracking. And I don't know if the Apple Watch delivers that. And, you know, I've used it since 2015. I've enjoyed it, but I don't know if I really want to get into it again. Yeah, there's limited things I use it for. And whether that's worth the price i don't know i i mean i guess it's really on a personal level for each person you really have to try it and see if you're someone who ends up getting a lot of use out of it i use it for fitness stuff which in the aspects i use it for are better than what i used before which was a pebble i can't compare it really to a fitbit because i don't have one uh my wife and kids all have fitbits but I do like the interface for this, and I do like that I can load apps that give me different interfaces for the fitness. So if I want to do like interval training or certain things that I don't necessarily want to use what Apple has to offer, I can use it. Or navigation didn't really work that well on my old Pebble. This, I do like that it ties into Apple Maps, and I can leave my phone in my pocket if I'm walking someplace, and I feel the little buzz, and I can quickly take a glance at the watch to know the next direction, so I'm not like face down with my phone the whole way looking like a tourist and just being a open target to anyone that just wants to mug me because they know that I'm not paying attention. I'm just kind of just walking around aimlessly trying to figure out where I'm going. But if you can figure out certain use cases, I think you can justify the cost and you'll use it. But I don't know that everyone, everyone, I think it's this big shiny thing that everyone wants, but they don't necessarily know how they're going to use it. They're going to go out and spend the $400 on this and then like, oh yeah, this is no better than my watch or my Fitbit. And I think you really have to look into it and see what it offers and know that you're going to get the use out of it to justify that cost rather than just buying and then trying to find a reason to like it. I think people should do research before they drop the money and make sure that it's something they're going to is worthwhile for them. Yeah, it seems like it never reached that hyperlocation sensitivity and activity potential of wearing a computer on your wrist. Because your phone, you know, you're going to go to your phone if you need to get an Uber or Lyft ride. You're going to go to your phone if you need to use Hotel Tonight. You're going to go to your phone if you look up a menu of a restaurant or Yelp reviews. You're always going to go to your phone. I mean, they have extensions for all those apps on your watch, but you're not going to use it to find those things. If your watch could, you know kind of self-populate the information that you would usually require right there so you don't have to dive through menus and searches because the menus and searches are where you're going to use your phone if it already has 
you know, that built in stuff. Like, say, for example, you go to a restaurant and it knows you're at that restaurant, you know, it uses those Bluetooth beacons or something. And the menu just pops up on your watch or like the price guide. You're standing right at the front or any kind of store retail location of coupons or sales or discounts. You're walking through the mall and it ties through those beacon locations. Anything where that information is auto populated to your watch is a valuable thing. And Apple's never got to that. No third party apps have really got to that. And again, that's software based. And so hardware year over year updates tough just because every kind of improvement that I can think of for Apple's products goes software side of things. But Apple needs to sell devices. Right. And even in the, the example you just gave where if it populates the information on your watch, well, there's a time and a place for each of these devices. And I got to say the watch interface is really not useful for most stuff, especially if you want large amounts of text or even well-formatted text. There's a very limited space on that little tiny screen. Like it's not, you're gonna jump to your phone because it, you can It's just for action things. It, it's yes. not for information, it's for action things and it needs to pre-populate those actions. Right, and it has to be something that's a small amount of text or a small amount of information because you're going to go want to go to your phone. Just like when you're on your phone and you're trying to read a web page, you might want to go to an iPad or go to a computer because it's just annoying to try to read it on a smaller screen. And so imagine that kind of multiplied. Now you're going to the small little tiny screen of the watch where not everything's going to work there. And I don't know that people have quite figured out exactly what information to put on there or find, to make it more useful. In certain things where you just have a tiny little bit of information, that's good. Like, even when I do the, the workouts, it's kind of annoying to have to scroll to the bottom to pick end workout. They put too much stuff on that screen. I wish it had almost nothing on it so I didn't have to scroll to then hit end and just have it all fit on one screen, but they can't because they're trying to put too much on there. And I think that it, I, it just becomes an issue where... If they're driving you to go use a different device, then you're going to want to use that other device rather than the watch or you rather go over to your phone or something else. And I think, like you said, hardware is not necessarily going to fix that. They already just made the screen bigger and it doesn't really help that much. So what are they going to do with hardware to really drive sales, which software wouldn't do on its own unless they had this forced obsolescence and made people upgrade to get a newer model and which you were kind of forced to do but even you haven't jumped on it yet right and so i mean that's what apple's facing you know as a company-wide ideal that they've made really good products people have enjoyed those products but then they find a tough reason to find an upgrade because also to be completely honest if you had a phone and a computer, the watch and the iPad are unnecessary. Just be completely honest. I mean, there's a lot of things you really don't even need your computer for, but that's still kind of the heavy-duty tasks. So I think that's why Apple Watch and iPad go together. Just because phone and computer are what you need on a daily day basis, and watch and iPad are like these extravagances to, oh, they're neat for this specific use case, or they help in this specific use case, but they're not neat. Like, if you didn't have your phone and computer, you could be lost in a given day. If you didn't have your watch and your iPad, you'd be like, oh, it's no big deal. Right, but I will say that 
between the watch and the iPad, the iPad is a super convenient device to have when you just want to consume media and you don't want to pull out a laptop or deal with the the amount of battery life you have on a, on a traditional laptop. Just being able to pull out that iPad with insanely long battery life is so easy and so quick and it tends to be my go-to device even over my phone I will just pick up the iPad to surf the internet read mail just because it's a nice convenient way to do it anything more than that anything where I'm working on my website or anything where I need to actually type the iPad goes away and I immediately switch the computer so I think each thing has its place but you're right. I mean, the two devices you really need are a phone and a computer. And beyond that, the rest are, are entertaining devices, fun devices to have, but they're not necessarily not necessary. And the, that's one of the problems that Apple has is, are you going to really spend a lot of money to upgrade a, an unnecessary device year over year? Yeah. And so that's puts the onus on Apple to come up with hardware updates maybe more vigorously for those lines but then also it's a chicken and the egg kind of thing where we really need to put that major development and resources into the phone because that's our bread and butter but then we have a tougher time selling these other products but we can only put so many resources and time into it yep and so that does bring us to the phone and the iPhone is has its own plenty of problems just because they've reached such a critical mass. You know, it's not like, oh, nobody buys phones. It's because, you know, they're selling 85 million phones. That's a lot of phones to be sold. And to get growth, you need to then sell 90 million phones. And once you tap these markets or international markets aren't as strong, that's going to impact Apple because they're doing so much with the phone. And it's interesting just because two years ago, we got the iPhone 10. It was Apple's biggest release ever. We got rid of all of the borders and stuff. We introduced the cool face ID, all these swipe gestures. It was a big deal. And so then last year, we essentially got the plus version of the iPhone X, and that was pretty much it. You know, there's the usual internal upgrades and stuff. And so that means this year, we should expect an iPhone 11 that's a big design change and super, like, shift in what the iPhone can do and is able to be. And it's really tough to see where Apple or anyone can really go with the phone market. You know, you see Mobile World Congress and Samsung has the foldable phone, Hawaii has the foldable phone, and those are kind of fixing a problem that doesn't exist. They're creating their own problems in their own right, and I don't think Apple's going to go in that direction. So the iPhone 11, Apple's going to increase the processor. They're going to improve the camera. They're going to fine-tune Face ID and try to reduce the little notch at the top of the screen. But other than that, I really don't know what the iPhone can do. And Apple is having a tough time selling iPhones year over year. But this might be the most important year for Apple of selling the phones to just maintain their critical mass. You know, it's not like the iPhone's going to go away or Apple's going to go away. There's always going to be tens of millions of people buying the iPhone every single quarter of the year. But to be able to be a growth company, you need to convince everyone who bought the iPhone 10 two years ago, not necessarily the 10s and all that good stuff, but those two year ago and anyone who has the six and got the battery replacement, the seven, the eight, all those people need to upgrade this year. And I don't see what that convincing point is. No. I mean, especially where I spent a thousand dollars on that 10 
because there's no more subsidizing. I spent $1,000 right. on this 10 two years ago. I replaced the battery this year. Not a chance of my upgrading next year. And so and it, it sounds like there's not even going to be that much of a difference in the actual device. Like, they're not doing a redesign. It's going to be those same sizes we have now. They're going to make slight upgrades to the processor, which is what they always do in the S years. There are rumors that maybe the notch is going away. There's rumors that the notch is staying for another year. There's rumors that the notch is going away, and now they're going to have this thing called the hole punch, where they put the, the <laughs> yeah. phone in the top corner. And so, I mean, little, I mean, the camera in the top corner in a little circle. Is that going to be more annoying, less annoying? I don't know. And then they do have a patent that they that people found for a foldable phone. No way that's coming this year. If they do that, another year maybe. But even then, like now, we saw that Android's version of this thing is like going to be like two grand. I like I imagine Apple tax on that. <laughs> and so I, I like I don't even understand. I guess if you wanted to replace both a phone and an iPad at the same time. But then again, it's not going to be as big as your iPad, more like the size of an iPad mini. But now you're carrying around like a super thick phone because it's folded up. I don't know. I'd have to see this thing to believe it, that it's worthwhile switching to something like that. Because now you also have your display kind of folded out, open to be able to be scratched in some spot while it's in your pocket. So it's really, I don't see, a, I mean, I saw some renderings which looked really nice, but I don't see how this is really feasible for everyone to be purchasing. I mean, it was tough enough to get myself to spend over a grand for a phone. Now to spend that much, I, I really don't see it. But there's not a lot that's on the table right now as far as what they're doing to upgrade that they're going to convince people to drop another thousand dollars unless you're on one of these upgrade plans where maybe you don't mind leasing a phone and you're gonna you just kind of like resign yourself to the fact that you're going to be constantly paying this for this thing forever and maybe you do trade it in every year i don't know i'm not that type of person i'd rather go a year or two without payments like so i'm done paying for this phone next year i'd rather just kind of go another year without paying it was great with the six plus not doing that and going for three years and especially where i just replaced the battery to be able to avoid payments would be great, especially because we have two phones that we're paying for right now. So I don't know. I really don't see them topping the like increasing sales with these phones being so darn expensive now. And the fact that no one is getting any kind of discounts or are on these phones and are paying full retail price for these things there's no way you're going to get a large as large of a percentage of people that used to upgrade year over year or every two years even that's gone that's just they priced themselves out of that way of thinking just with the the insane costs of these phones nowadays and then across all these different products apple's picked all the low-hanging fruit you know those obvious upgrade points apple's covered them all and so the things left are these kind of like minor nuisances that you just deal with with your phone but it's not you know say you cleared all those up it's not like a selling point i don't see a big feature list that apple's going to come out with this year you can't do a bigger screen i mean the <laughs> 10s plus or whatever is as big as <laughs> apple's going to do with the phone so you covered bigger screen and then so new process that's new uh 
camera, those are always there. So those are tough selling points. I don't see what the key big new thing that Apple's going to put on the front of their page come September when the new iPhone comes out. I just don't even know what that selling point could even be. You forgot about the be able to charge other devices from your phone. Right. Why that, that is that is that big selling point that somehow, some way, you're going to charge your iPad, your Mac, or your watch with the battery of your phone. Like, your phone will have that charge-through ability, but could you imagine burning up your phone's battery, which is not the greatest at, to start with, and use any of your other devices when you already emphasize how important your phone is compared to these other devices? Yeah, the, I mean, the phone can barely even hold the charge throughout the day as it is. So you barely make it through a day. Now you're going to start charging other devices from your phone. Even if they increase the battery, they've already shown that they're not willing to make things thicker. So right. how they're going to increase the battery without making it thicker or finding other room, I don't see where they're going to find enough room to to make the battery that much larger that you're going to want to charge other devices from it. I, I don't know. That just seems like a dumb feature. Then they have this whole triple camera. I really don't see a, a reason for that or a use case that I would have personally for this triple camera with a wide telephoto and some ultra wide lens. I, I, it's the type of thing I'd probably take a few pictures and then I, I forget about it. It wouldn't be something I'd be using all the time. So I, to me, that's not a selling point. And uh, and then frosted glass, I think, was one of them. Like, yeah. yeah, no, I use a case. So that's not not a selling point. I, I don't trust myself not to drop it. So I don't, there's really not a lot to sell me on a new phone. Like, you, you, even in, there's even rumors that they're going to keep around the lightning port. They're not even switching to USB-C at this point, which I wish everything would switch to USB-C. It is such a nice port rather than having all these lightning cables and then you buy a third-party lightning cable and it says it doesn't work because it wasn't, even though they said they're MFI certified, it really doesn't work with the, the phone or dies really quickly. At least USB-C is a standard across everything. So I, it looks like we're finally getting there, but maybe not even this year on, on the iPhone. Right, and then 5G, don't forget that cool feature, even though none of our <laughs> networks support 5G or maybe even 6G. Or 6G, but yes. Yeah, for sure no 5G support, but the phone may be compatible, but you know, Verizon, T-Mobile, AT&T, and Sprint aren't going to help you out for a while. But yeah, I, don't, I have no idea. I mean, it comes back to that foldable iPhone. That's not coming this year. It might never come, but just the inherent idea of it is so just ignorant of what people want, where instead of let me see, I could carry one phone that's 6.5 inches, or I could carry the width of two phones, and it expands out to like 7.9 inches. You know, it's like an iPad mini-sized, but now you have the width of two phones in your pocket at all time, and it seems like when it's folded, that interface and just is worse. You know, it's, it's now smaller when you have it folded than that 6.5 inch of your original design. So... I, the folded I do not think is the future of phones. It's a neat idea. If you got the phone down to the size of where it's only screen, you know, you have those movie futuristic things where it's just a screen and you fold it and it's the size of like two playing cards instead of one. That's cool. We're, you know, like 20 years away from that. For now, the way they're doing the folding screens over the next five years, I don't think that's where we Apple's going to go. 
Yeah, the folded, the, the biggest concern for me is I would love to have, be able to carry around one device. But then again, I don't want to just carry around one device because I'm concerned that if what, something happened to that one device, I would lose a ton of money. I, I can't justify carrying, a, tough enough carrying around a $1,000 phone to carry around a $2,000 thing just in my pocket where glasses open to being you know, scratched. Like, that's my biggest fear, carrying around such an expensive, or stolen, like, such an expensive device. If they could find a way to get it thin enough that it wouldn't feel super bulky, folded, and it was actually strong enough that it wasn't going to get destroyed, and it would expand it to a size that was the size of, like, an actual iPad, not something in mid-ground that is really not that useful, then I would be all over that if it was reasonably priced. But knowing Apple, there's no way in heck this thing is going to be affordable to any reasonable person like it's going to be so expensive that it's going to be so limited especially when you see that android one is two grand so i don't know i think we're too far away with that being a cost effective thing that the average consumer is going to be able to afford and so we're kind of stuck with this for now and this is just going to be more of the same it's not going to be anything that innovative or different going forward unless apple can kind of just think of something crazy and different which i think they seem to be pretty much out of ideas at this point they just kind of are iterating and iterating and not really coming up with anything super new and different and that's kind of the whole slate for apple in 2019 so we don't want to be like debbie downers on what apple's going to do this year but also we want to be realists like don't expect apple's gonna introduce a foldable phone that is the size of the current phone and it's only going to cost the same thousand dollar price you know they're right. not going to introduce a mac that all of a sudden drops back down to twelve hundred dollars and it introduces this huge bigger screen the ipad is not going to be foldable or condensed into this flat surface or anything like that the watch isn't all of a sudden going to be this super powerful device to replace your phone but that's what makes it so tough for Apple for 2019. Like even you could outlook to 2020, but there's not the greatest product pipeline for Apple. Right. No, well, these are good products. It's just not innovative products. It's well, not just something not different. good products over what you already own. You know, right. if you bought not a phone and a watch last year, or an iPad last year, or a Mac last year, I don't see an upgrade for the foreseeable future. Right. It's going to be tough for people that are already in Apple and have all these devices to justify upgrades is going for this year, at least. And I don't know, going forward, maybe something will come out, something different, something that you must buy. But I think the Apple is its own worst enemy at this point. They've made stuff too good and too, too sturdy to it lasts too long that they are fighting themselves at this point. Like, they are fighting themselves for your attention, for your dollars, and I think it's become, they've become their own worst enemy at this point. Yep, so that's Apple in 2019. I know it's super exciting, but <laughs> that's all in the future. So we want to talk about kind of the present and even slightly the past. So the 91st Academy Awards were this past Sunday, and so now we know all the results. We got to watch the show. And interestingly enough, 
you can find correlations between the themes and the ideas of the eight nominated films for Best Picture and connect them to actual themes of games available on the App Store. So it's not a direct comparison. You're not going to become Lady Gaga and become a star or anything. But the ideas in play can actually find parallels through these games. And that's probably the most interesting idea that no matter the story, at whatever level of entertainment, there's still connections to it. Yeah, I always enjoy when you you do this each year. And I, I always enjoy to see the uh, the choices that you make to kind of match up the, the nominated films with games that we're familiar with. A lot of these we've talked about on the show before. Uh, so you'll some of them you'll, you'll hopefully remember because a lot of them we really enjoyed. Uh, but I always enjoy seeing how you how you kind of match these things up. Yep. And so, spoiler alert, we're going to start with the Best Picture announcement, and that was Green Book. And I have to say it's a deserved Best Picture, at least in my opinion, just of the eight films nominated. And it wasn't the easiest film to make a comparison for. So the movie follows African-American pianist Dr. Don Shirley through his tour in the Deep South in 1962, and he hires an Italian-American bouncer, Tony Lip, and he's going to essentially protect him on this trip. And so the trip deals with race relations, their potential budding friendship, and clashes along the way, and the relations of all these Deep South states with African-Americans in 1962. And so... There's no real games that emphasize race relations or African-American plights in the 60s and before throughout American history. But Death Road to Canada has this kind of tenuous connection in the the game. It's like Oregon Trail, but instead of, you know, that past, you're actually trying to make your way to Canada through these waves of zombie enemies. So this isn't like, you know, tat for tat comparison, but the idea <laughs> is that the protagonist has to go through a dangerous area and he's going to meet friends along the way. Those friends are going to be key for his survival through this deadly area and, or at least potentially hazardous area. And that's, you know, a theme that can be played out no matter the medium. Yeah. So green book is not one of the films. I, I saw five of the eight nominated films. And so unfortunately green book was not one that I saw, but I'll buy your, I'll buy your connection here. <laughs> and plus death road to Canada was an excellent game. So any reason to rebring it up and get people to, uh, to check it out, uh, is definitely worth it. Right. That's kind of the main idea is to highlight great games. You know, I didn't want to just find a connection oh, look, here's some really terrible game that is kind of similar. Like, you know, one of those celebrity Kim Kardashian games is kind of like a Star's Board. I didn't <laughs> want to do that. I wanted to actually recommend games and find the connection. Right, right. So, yeah, so some of these connections are a little more tenuous than others, but they're all good games that we're trying to recommend to you. Right, and so speaking of a Star's Born... This one wasn't the easiest to find a good game comparison, but Homo Machina is actually an interesting idea because the movie is a you know, there's the core idea of a unknown person becoming a celebrity after she meets a celebrity husband and that celebrity husband can't deal with her rise to stardom. So I'm not going to be able to find a game like that. But there's also the idea of 
essentially a focus on him rather than a focus on her and him trying to cope with her rise to stardom. And so Homo Machina is a game that shows the inner workings of your body. You know, it shows, it, it turns your brain and your nervous system and your circulatory system into these little factories. These little workers are there, you know, they do all these little jobs to kind of get your body to working. And so it shows kind of that internal idea of how your mind deals with things. And the game actually has a subtle little storyline where the main character is going on a date and, you know, he's going to kind of have amped up emotions. His brain's going to be hyperactive. He's hyperventilating all that kind of good stuff on like a first date. And so just the idea of love causing hypertension inside your body and then seeing the inner workings of your body dealing with that hypertension, kind of what Bradley Cooper's character goes through. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see this connection it, where you have not only does he have to kind of control his emotions and the and how he feels, but then also just being a musician, you really have to have control of your body and control of your vocals and just to be able to present your music. This kind of makes that connection because you're seeing these inner workings of this human being, not only just for this in the story within the game of this date and going on the date, but then just the way that someone has to control all these various pieces of the body to get them to work together to function in the world. And just with this whole kind of aspect of like the, the mental health of his character, he's, he's kind of drunk and, uh, he's, he's an alcoholic. And so, uh, just kind of seeing how to try to regain focus of your body and and all of your mental facilities i mean it i could see this connection and as we talked about home machina uh originally when we talked about in the podcast this was just like a really unique game where you have this whole it's just like a really unique take and you just the way they present it is just so entertaining and different from other things that are out there that it's immediately captivating and you want to play through the whole thing kind of like the movie was where you kind of just get drawn into these two characters and figuring out where they're going and the story that they're telling and then of course the game doesn't cover goosebumps rising on your skin when lady gaga and bradley cooper performed shallow at the oscars an awesome rendition that was amazing. Like, this is one of the reasons... I know we're jumping away from the, the apps for a second, but the one of the reasons I love them not doing the host this year because they're able to just kind of flow directly into that performance where they basically came out of their seats, walked on stage, and just started performing. And I thought it was amazing. I thought that was the best performance of the night. And I, I just... I thought it was incredible. I, I really loved that obviously live right there this is what you're gonna get performance uh just excellent yeah absolutely amazing had to mention it and so then there's black klansman which actually picked up the adapted screenplay award for spike lee his first oscar and interestingly enough it ties into a game we just talked about on the last episode and we gave it glowing reviews and that game is beat cop and this was probably the easiest match of the all these different games and movies. So Black Klansman tells the story of the first African-American police detective of the Colorado Springs Police Department, and he goes undercover with the help of a Jewish colleague to infiltrate 
the Ku Klux Klan local affiliate in Colorado Springs and all that that there entails. And so that has the whole race relations as well as being a cop and then tying into the 70s and all those complex dynamics that arise from it and with a lot of negative repercussions. And so Beat Cop is set in the 80s in New York, but you get to play a cop and you have to deal with race relations specifically as you have to balance being a cop with the complexities of the Italian mob trying to have problems and you need to either fix it, ignore it, be a cop, as well as black gangs are also on the same kind of city block in conflict with the mob and you have to balance their wants and concerns again with also being a cop. So you have all these really dirty, gritty dynamics to deal with in the game and that's what the movie is going to go into as well. Yeah, I thought this was a perfect tie-in that you did. And it's you ha you're granted you're trading the seventies for the eighties, but it's it's kind of disturbing to see how little has changed in a decade where you still are dealing or even to modern times where we're still dealing with this. And it just and I, I think your your parallels between uh Black Klansman and Beat Cop are just dead on for this one and I this there's no other one you could have picked for, for this. And be sure to watch Black Klansman if you haven't, and be sure to pick up Beat Cop if you haven't. Two really amazing pieces of work that really didn't get that much notoriety and kind of box office, app store, top charts recognition. Yeah, I completely agree. And then there's Black Panther, which did get a ton of recognition and acclaim and monetary profits as well. And so... <laughs> Black Panther didn't have the easiest kind of connection because there's a few different themes. Like, there's the obvious, oh, this is another Marvel movie. It had the familiar tropes of introducing Black Panther, dealing with the villain, and eventually defeating him after coming from practically being dead. But then there's also the whole becoming king, taking over for your father who you've respected all your life, and then finding out the darker side of your father and, you know, you're living up to his reputation that you built in your head, but then that reputation is torn down. So that's a whole different dynamic. I couldn't find any game parallels to that deeper meaning of Black Panther. So instead, I went with Teen Titans Go figure because it's a superhero game. It's a superhero movie. That's a super broad kind of connection, but it was easy. And that, it's just because Black Panther has a lot of deeper themes that aren't usually covered in kind of takes on it. And also on the game side of things... There's a lot of Marvel games. There's like Marvel Strike Force and Marvel Contest of Champions and quite a few of these type of games that, you know, there's Star Wars versions of these games. There's Halo versions of these games. There's all these similar style of games. So they're not necessarily unique to being Marvel. So they're kind of just, you know, there's Injustice and Marvel Contest of Champions is Injustice with Marvel characters, that kind of thing. So I didn't want to pick those games and they don't even highlight Black Panther that much. So Teen Titans Go Figure is probably the best superhero themed game on the App Store as it connects in that turn-based strategy style or to almost essentially a real-time strategy game with the creativity and humor of the show and it's just a really outstanding way to play with superheroes. Yeah, I love Teen Titans Go Figure. I love the original uh, game as well. 
and I loved the uh, Teen Titans Go the movies. I wish that had been nominated for the right. I animated. I still would have picked <laughs> Spider Man into the Spider Verse, but I I think Teen Titans Go the movies should have been would in been there. in my number two. Yeah. Yes, that it was better. Incredibles two was terrible. That was just boring to me. But yeah, so I I understand it's tough. You could have easily picked one of these Marvel ones where kind of Black Panther is just kind of a, another character in a mix of everything else. Where it's kind of these bland. Just we're just when new Marvel movies come out, we're just gonna throw those characters in, and you'll get to play with them as well. But it's it's not that much fun. This. Teen Titans Go Figure is an addictive little game, especially if you're someone who loves to collect like collectible figures, like pop figures and things. There's that whole element to the game where you're digging through racks of figures, trying to find certain ones. Maybe you'll find like a, a rare one that's in there, kind of hidden behind the rest of the figures. Maybe someone came in earlier and kind of tried to hide this thing so you wouldn't buy it, but then you found it and you can go and buy this thing. And so it's just a really fun, uh, just it's like a different take on that whole superhero game but it's it's more fun i think than any of the other ones that are out there it's just something about it just kind of draws you in and you just lose so much time just playing through this game so i highly recommend teen titans go figure as well yep and then there's bohemian rhapsody which that movie has a lot of, you know, it's a highlight of Queen, a highlight of Freddie Mercury's life, but it also has kind of other subject matter involved in being yourself regardless of what anybody else thinks. And then, of course, the darker side of Freddie's life and his early passing. And so there's not the greatest comparison on the App Store. There's a few games that delve into kind of sexuality and finding yourself. Like Gone Home does that really well. But instead, I went with a game that actually features Queen songs. Because, again, the movie highlights Queen and Rock On, a song pop adventure. So if you've never heard of song pop, there are these games where it gives you, you know, a three-second clip of a song and you have to pick what it is. And they're usually like kind of these online multiplayer challenges. With Rock On, it's specifically rock music. It starts from classic rock and it goes into kind of modern 2010 rock and they just bounce back and forth and they're all going to be rock songs but it's a level-based adventure there's 80 levels to play through of these different kind of themed packs of all these different time periods and different bands you can even unlock a specific queen level after the first 20 levels so this just i mean if you like queen music and rock music you're going to be at home guessing all these different songs yeah, so when I saw this on your list, I completely forgotten about Song Pop. I used to play so much of it, and then and then I forgotten about obviously Rock On as well. And so I loaded it up, relogged in with my Facebook login, and what is the first question that comes up? Your next category is Queen. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. This like fits perfectly. So I played through the Queen, having seen the movie and obviously listened to the music before. I nailed it, ten for ten. And so it was, uh, yeah, no, this was a perfect choice. I, this, it made me want to like go and listen to more Queen, and the movie itself was phenomenally good. Like I, I had no idea really going into it what to expect, but I, it was one that I thoroughly enjoyed, especially out of the the nomination, the nominated films that I did see, uh, and uh, definitely perfect pick. And then shout out to Rami Malek for winning Best Actor. I mean, he has such a great story 
we got to know him on Mr. Robot and to just become Freddie Mercury in this film, super well deserved. And then, of course, there was the intro of the Oscars itself performed by Queen with Adam Lambert as their frontman. And that was just a great way to start. You don't you don't need some person going with stale jokes that aren't going to offend somebody. Just get right into it and have an awesome time. Yeah, yeah. I, some of those people looked a little awkward rocking out, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, it was good. Yep. And so that's Bohemian Rhapsody. And be sure to check out Rock On, a song pop adventure to free download. So there's no reason not to. It has the little letter bars if you have a newer phone, but it's still plenty playable. Yep. And then there's Roma, which is a really interesting film because it's a foreign language film. So if you speak English and you don't speak Spanish, the entire film is going to constitute reading. You know, you're going to have subtitles through the entirety to read. And regardless of that, the film itself is absolutely amazingly shot. It's one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen, regardless of the year. Just the entire settings that he creates. And so Alfonso Cuaron, he won cinematography and best director and both are I mean beautifully on display in just a particular scene he creates this whole essentially kind of like political fight in the street there's hundreds of people on the street and he decides to film it from the main character's perspective who's up at the shop looking for a crib and puts the camera through the window it has you know the letters like showing that's a sale and stuff over the windows and you're kind of looking through this but as a director he has to get all these people together to do this and then he's even going to film it in a different way or then he has those long establishing shots like from Birdman or Revenant that uh Inaratu did and he does that but in these whole kind of larger scale and grander scopes where there's hundreds of people this movie is set in the 70s and so he has those ideas in play that you need to change everybody's wardrobe you know you can't just film this on the street you have to change all the cars to fit the time so it's this like the main character runs down the street of all these shops it's you know it's only like 15 seconds in the movie but think how long that went into going so it's great that he won those two different Oscars and the film itself focuses on a maid and kind of the gritty lifestyle working for a middle-class family in Mexico in the 70s and then having the connection to her upbringing and just realizing kind of like the dirty gritty lifestyle especially in a role that's usually just a side character in a movie you know you read the end credits and it says maid the maid doesn't even get a name so to have a whole movie focused on a maid is just a completely different perspective and that idea isn't really available on the app store you know there's beautiful games but there's not necessarily games about being a maid because it's not the most glamorous position and instead donut county is an odd but really fitting choice in that you start out in donut county playing as a raccoon who creates this app that lets people order cleaning service and the idea is that you create a black hole and then everything that is small enough of that black hole falls into it and then the black hole gets bigger and then you swell up more and more so you start out just as a basic cleaning service like a maid but then the game revolves into creating this whole kind of mass catastrophe and swallowing up an entire city of this black hole gaming system and then you know there's the political ramifications in Roma that are kind of underlying it's not the main storyline and then Donut County imagine being a character that's destroyed entire lives 
as he's swallowed up their whole house and everything that they own and how he has to deal with people. Yeah, unfortunately, Roma is still on my uh, Netflix queue. I have not watched it yet, but it does look gorgeous. The, the uh, Black and white in certain aspects, like when you do it right, it, it's almost like the color is there. It's just so beautifully shot and just seeing it like I... I it's definitely one I want to sit down. It's only the whole fact that with the subtitles is kind of slowing me down because I know I can't go into it tired or I'm going to fall asleep trying to read subtitles for two hours. But uh, it looks beautiful. I And I love uh, the, the director's speech at the end uh, when he won one of his awards. I think it was for the best foreign language film where he talked about being a child and watching foreign language films and how they inspired him. And then proceed to basically talk about all these American films and for him they were foreign language films and so it was just like it's one of these things where you have to think about it from their point of view where yeah that was hubris but it's also true and you don't even think about this that people watching like American films those are foreign language films for them and people tend to go oh well I don't want to watch a foreign language film but you know what? The rest of the country, they are watching foreign language films when they're watching things that aren't their native language. And we just happen to be lucky that English is our native language. So I thought that was really interesting. And your parallels with uh, Roma, obviously I have not seen it, but I it does make sense with with what you're talking about and how it relates to, to the film uh, with Donut County. And just Donut County is one of those where it's almost like a, a cinematic film in itself as you're playing through. You you kind of almost have to act out the scenes and you're put into the scenes where you now have to recreate the events that happened by dragging this hole around to suck everything up to cause the chaos and the destruction that happened be, pri- previously and cause this creature to fall down this massive hole. So you are almost like in in producing this film yourself and acting it out uh, and kind of directing the the narrative in order to get it to reach the conclusion, which is almost what a director does uh, in in a normal film. And so it's I definitely see your parallels, and uh, I think it was a, a great choice because Dona County, I love this game. That's even an an extra connection. And that, that's perfect, too. I'll, I should actually update with that. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's Roma with Donut County. Hopefully you picked up Donut County because we also talked it on our best games of 2018. And then there's the favorite. And this probably was the easiest connection of all of these. I mean, you have a game that's called Reigns Her Majesty. And so the original <laughs> Reigns is about making decisions as being a monarch. And the Her Majesty extension just makes the monarch a queen. So... The favorite is all about Queen Anne at the turn of the 1700s, and she has two essential people in her life who are vying for her affection and also vying for an influence both on a personal and a political level. And it's a really interesting movie in that it's kind of like an acted-out play. You know, it's set up in different scenes like Act 1, Act 2, all that kind of good stuff. But it just focuses on being the queen and the portrayal of this queen is from Lady Marlborough's perspective and her biographies that she wrote. They said that scholars have a different kind of view at Queen Anne and that didn't change until like the 1950s. So 
she played that kind of idea that she was just a ditzy queen that was ambivalent towards the English monarchy and all that goes with it. And she, she played it so well that Oliva Coleman actually won Best Actress. And that was probably the surprise of the night, but she totally embraced it and had the best speech of the night and one of the best speeches in years of just being so overcome with emotion and just the shock of it. Because I think everyone going in thought that Glenn Close would win and maybe Lady Gaga had like kind of that second chance to have Olivia Coleman. I don't think she prepared a speech and she just you know winged it up there and did just such an amazing job to speak from the heart when we have so many people kind of at celebrity status be so rehearsed and kind of robotic to not show personality it was a great kind of refreshing idea yeah olivia coleman's speech was one of the highlights of the night i mean it was just the way she just kind of stumbled through it it was just endearing and funny and it it was just perfect and those are the kind of speeches you want where you could tell that they actually mean something not these people that just sit there and try to read lists of names like what's the point you could, at one point i think on either the golden globes or the oscars they allowed you to put like a whole list of names that just scrolled at the bottom of the screen you might as well do that at some point like rather than wasting people's time like she obviously this meant a lot to her she had no idea what to say and it was just beautiful and it's as far as your 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 pick goes, I, and there's nothing I have to say. This was a perfect pick. I mean, it just it's natural. It like next. <laughs> yeah, be sure to pick up Reigns if you haven't. I mean, there's the original version, there's the Her Majesty version, and there's even a Game of Thrones version just in time for the April launch of season eight. But regardless which version you pick, it's just awesome. Where you essentially have this yes or no decision. It's essentially like tinder you swipe left or right and all these different people come to you and you pick what you want to do and each decision you make is going to have ramifications on the kingdom's religious standing the population's happiness the army's power or the resources and i mean queen anne's dealing with this through these personal connections so just having that all together in a game like you said this was like just the perfect comparison yeah, and I think I, personally, I think Reigns Her Majesty is probably my favorite of the three. Uh, so I think definitely so too. check it out. Yep, and then also be sure to check out Broadchurch if you haven't seen it. It's streaming on Netflix. It was a BBC show, and that's where I got to first know Olivia Coleman, and she's awesome. She's with David Tennant in that, and it's just a great show. Yeah, that's on my queue. I gotta watch it. I, 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 too many shows. Too many. There are. There definitely are. And so then to round out the Best Picture nominees is Vice. And this tells the story. It's uh, as close as they could with, you know, the creator's kind of own personal leanings to create Dick Cheney biopic with this own drama and humor infused into it. And Dick Cheney has a story that's out there, you know, how he came to power and how he kind of did stuff with the vice president that, vice presidents really hadn't done previously and the movie dives all into that and so there's not many games that focus specifically on u.s politics but there's a lot of like political simulator games available on the app store and one of the best is tropico it came out in november december 2018 and just the amount of depth in this game it focuses kind of on that banana republic leadership but there's just so many menus and layers and choices from the original outset of depicting what kind of leader you want to be from, you know, more of a Che Guevara to a 
Fidel Castro kind of choice. And you just have all these layers of choices. And then that dives into just the full-on simulation game of building farms and factories and resources and getting the population on your side and just this ornate 3D simulation world to dive into. And they give you so many ways to kind of interact and adjust and manipulate the way things proceed. So it's not a direct comparison to U.S. politics, but in terms of politics in general, and even kind of when Dick Cheney goes kind of more towards foreign affairs, there's definitely a connection. Yeah, unfortunately, this is one where I have not seen either the movie nor played the game. So I don't have a lot to comment on other than that I've heard very good things about Tropico the game uh, because it was originally on the PC and I know that uh, this has been around for a while and uh, I've heard a lot of good feedback about the game and it's one that I keep meaning to try but it's it's definitely a meaty one that I know is going to take time to dive into that I just haven't had a chance to yet yeah it's definitely I mean if you pick this game is expensive it's $11.99 it's more of that kind of premium Steam title that comes over to the App Store, maintains its pricing because it's essentially the same game. So you definitely respect that. And for $12, you're going to get dozens of hours of gameplay if you really get into it. But understand that it's quite an undertaking. It's going to be a game where you're going to sit around for the first half hour to an hour going through menus and tutorials and just learning all that you can do because there's so much. Yep, yep. And that's all the best pictures and all the mobile game connections and a slight little recap of the Oscars to go with it. And that was a lot. Brett, thanks for joining me. Oh, yeah. It's a pleasure. That was all our episode 92. We hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time. Talk to you later.